Welcome to episode 12 of AU Manufacturing Conversations with Brent Belinsky. Our guest this time around is Phil West, co-founder of Siren Cameras. Phil's from a family of fishers and moved to Australia from Scotland a decade ago. A few years back he was out blue water fishing, caught nothing all day, then found himself in a 15 minute tussle with what must have been a splendid fish before he lost it. This was the inspiration for Phil's camera for anglers, so there would be no mystery as to what they're reeling in. This evolved into a dual lens camera for footage of fishes as well as fish. Phil tells us about the invention, which he hopes will also enable better decisions about fishery management through data collection. Thanks for downloading this episode. If you enjoy the conversation and you haven't already, please subscribe, leave a review via the podcast platform of your choice, and help us spread the word. Morning, Phil. Uh, thank you very much for joining us here on AU Manufacturing Conversations. Well, thanks very much, Brent. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on. So first question as always, how did you get here and what do you make? Going from my accent, I'm obviously not originally Australian. Literally been here for, we're about two weeks shy of 10 years since I've, I've been in Australia. And, and over that time, my passion for, for fishing has stayed with me. But that led that passion led to um, making many mistakes fishing Australian waters because I just didn't know what I was doing. That led to a lot of frustration. And then consequently, I started thinking about, you know, cameras that we could actually put onto, onto fishing lines. You know, a quick review of what's on the market showed me that there was a few cameras out there that are effectively single lens and you tie them onto the line and then deploy them. We came up with a solution to the, the kind of many obstacles that that poses. We've ended up with a double lens camera that actually floats once you attach it to the line. And that attachment to the line is instantaneous, so it's not tied onto the line, meaning the camera floats on the water surface, filming down into the water column. So filming the fish come towards it, but actually filming back at the angler itself. So effectively it documents that, that entire fishing experience. I'd like to know just a little bit more about your professional background. You're a first-time manufacturer, is that correct? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I've always thought of myself as a bit of a, you know adventure, if you like, but nothing's got off the ground. But, you know, my, my professional background is in natural resources. I've worked in, in that for about 20 years. And then, you know, got myself to a position now where I had a, a small amount of capital to put behind this idea. And as we progressed with the idea, there was just, you know, no reason to, uh, I guess, let it go. We only got, um, I guess, encouragement from, from what we were seeing already out there, what we were achieving through the prototypes. So my professional experience has nothing to do with manufacturing, but find myself, you know, running this, this in parallel. And we're getting to a point now where we're really close to having a go at commercializing the product and so fishing was always a sort of a weekend warrior pursuit for you yeah Brent, I, I i grew up on the water in scotland like literally on on the water and so that's that's really in my blood my whole family stock is kind of you know deep into into commercial fishing so that that really was the life and soul of, of my upbringing and that's just stayed with me. I've always just been recreational from, from my perspective, particularly coming to Australia 10 years ago. You know, the, some of those fish that are, that are available on my doorstep now are mm. really just a dream for me. You know, just things that I was seeing on the TV, but to actually be able to, to access them got me extremely excited. So, yeah, I've had 10 years of fishing these amazing waters here in, in Australia and then off of Brisbane. And with that has came, or with that excitement has came this 
drive to produce a, a product that would enhance that whole experience. Tell me a little bit more about excitement and, I guess, the flip side, extreme disappointment and what actually inspired you to have this idea. Could I get a sense of that, please? Because there's a story behind it, I understand. Yeah, yeah, there is. So, I mean, like I touched on, the first couple of years of being in Australia, so going back to 2012, 13, 14, maybe, one of the first things that I did when I landed here was, was go and get myself a boat, a decent six-metre boat, and got myself offshore and effectively you know, tried to implement fishing techniques that I'd seen on YouTube with an awful lot of quiet days. But over, you know, with a bit of persistence, things start to get a little bit more successful. And then one day I hooked up to this, what would have been an, an incredible fish. And, you know, for somebody like me, a bit of a fishing tragic, that was extremely exciting. And mm. It took me about 20 minutes to get the, the fish, I guess, close to the boat. And then, of course, the, the line pops, as it quite, quite commonly does. And that was the only thing that we'd caught the entire day. So that was one of the days that on the, the hour trip home, you're effectively questioning whether all this is worth it and whether you know you wanted to do this again. And you know, it's it's one of those those down moments. But that that was effectively when we started talking about, well, if only we could have put a camera onto the line there that, you know, we could have retrieved if the, once the line snapped and then once we got home you can play that footage back and, and if I could get the consolation of seeing what that fish was, it's almost as good as getting it, it next to the boat. So so that's really how the, the the product came to be, if you like. That was a concept. And I'm sure that it'd have applicability for people who, like yourself, recalling the struggle. They'll, you know, have mates saying, ah, you're full of shit or whatever. And they can say, well, I've, I've got some footage here. I'm, I'm in fact, uh, not lying to you, not telling, you know, fishtails. Um, yeah. And, and I think that this is quite divisive because for since the beginning of time, really, that the fisherman's tail, you know, is, is in the bar. That's just quite a, a yeah. common a common thing so i guess what we're proposing is that like you know there's no more of that here's the here's the evidence you know and i think that really gets the attention of some people in a positive way and other people maybe maybe not so much they're quite keen for that traditional tale i feel like going forward that and indeed the business really is banking on this theory that people will put cameras onto their fishing lines and i truly think that's what what's going to happen here because it's the same as, as just mobile phones you know like if anything exciting happens on the street or, or while people are, are out and about, mm. people grab their phones, right, and they film it. It's almost like, you know, experiences don't exist until you can prove it. That's sure. the way I feel things are going. And this is a corner of human hobbies, you know, within fishing that you can't currently do that. And I feel that we can resolve that. I feel that we've got the solution to it. You've got this idea, you've had an inspiration, you've dreamed up something. What did the early prototypes look like and how did you put them together? The initial like concept was actually for just a single lens camera that you know we could clip onto the line that would actually go subsurface so it would sink and then it would become buoyant so it would come back to the surface and that's to mitigate you know it being lost if the line snapped but there's just so much can go wrong with that like mm -hmm. it can be that whole mechanism can be interrupted with you know seaweed or, or whatever so the initial prototypes were for single lens but once we uh, you know kind of accepted that you can't really design something with confidence that would sink and then become buoyant. We're playing with the, the prototypes that were floating on the surface and then that like kind of light bulb moment was, well, let's put a, a, you know, a second lens on the back of it and just leave the thing floating there. Because really, once you penetrate the surface, you get this incredible view into like an underwater world. So one lens gets that and the other lens actually stays out of the water shooting back at the angler in action. So that was like the, the original concept, you know, single lens, so we changed that. And then we went through the whole process of, of having about a dozen 
different types of concepts with with different mechanisms and it's just that it's almost like a process of elimination as we you know, kind of work through how those would operate until we're left with something that we decided was like the, the optimal solution what are some of the features you've developed as you've gone along tell me about some of the things you've tacked on and uh, some of the reasons for doing so great call and uh, i mean i guess from your previous question i really just addressed the industrial design of it but electronically as well it started off really quite simplistic but over time you know if you fast forward like three four years we're we're sitting here now with you know an an electronic product that has got a a wi-fi unit inside of it or sitting on it so we can communicate through the the mobile app we've got a, a gps unit there as well so it knows exactly where in the world it is. There's a, a real high spec processor as you, you require to, you know, handle two video streams simultaneously, particularly at a high resolution. A, a decent battery in there as well. So, you know, really the particularly for being like a, a first time inventor, if you like, we've really chosen a real challenge here mm. where you've got complex electronics into a very small factor, enclosed, you know, so it's uh, there's there's a heat management requirement there as well. And we're mixing it of course with salt water. So it's really a quite a complex matrix of, of issues to to align there to make this thing work optimally. Lot to that system, and I imagine if you know you were to be a division of an electronics company and you were to pitch the idea to the board, that that you'd probably also say, okay, well, to make it happen, I'll need a team of fifty, a hundred engineers and people in all these various disciplines. It just looks like there's a lot going on, and uh, accordingly, would be very difficult. Definitely, and, you know, we'll maybe come on to that, but I'm totally honest about how naive I was four years ago to think what this would take. That's been a real learning curve. And you're right, it's only now that I realise how I look at like the new GoPros, how actually like magical and amazing mm-hmm. they are in terms of what they, they can do. But at the same time, literally, there's a team of, you know, hundreds of people behind that, behind that evolution and, and millions of dollars as well. So we've really had to, to work really quite hard in developing our camera and we've had to use off-the-shelf products as well you know so it's effectively a a pcb that's designed internally but the components that i mentioned before like wi-fi units and processors etc they they have to come off the shelf because we're just not in a position to build this from scratch you know of course that brings us to bringing outside help into the project Uh, where did you go looking for people you could help with the many things you've just mentioned, as well as a lot that we haven't, like legal advice, industrial design, yada, yada, yada. You know, I, again, I have literally, like, punched in the dark here. I, I've literally, <laughs> think mm. back to, like, day one, I googled those services and ended up going and, and, and meeting some people. Some of them have worked out and are still with us, and, and, and some aren't, but... I started from absolute scratch and, and Googled the, the questions you've just asked me, Brent. So yep. it's been, yeah, I, I use the term punching in the dark, literally not having a clue how to even begin, but just persistence, you know, and just persistence and a bit of resilience as well to keep going. I guess that's what has been vital about getting to this point. It's like I, I'm into it, you know, like I, mm. I'm really passionate about doing this. If I wasn't, we wouldn't have made it here. But now I've, I, I've found a way. I've just found that path and that's, it's not been without its setbacks but yeah if you want something enough i think that you can carve out that path and if you knock on enough doors then you eventually find the the right people that can help you to return to to ip you've got a 20-year patent on your idea and that happened pretty early on tell me about deciding to go through with patenting and everything that comes with it and why you think it's been worthwhile 
our IP attorney, if you like, has just been consistently with us. And that's something that I, I kicked off right at the beginning, right at like the concept stage for, for a couple of reasons. And, but the first reason is just to prove that to myself that there was nothing like that on the market. And that's what I thought the situation was. But of course, going through the, the legal route, that confirms it. So I wanted to know that. So that was a, a step we took. And it's literally something that I would advise anybody to do up front. There's, of course, there's a bit of, of cost with it and it's an ongoing process. But to get a, a boost and get some security and encouragement to keep going, that's really helped us. We've got positive results from securing our IP. And the 20-year patent you mentioned there, you're right, that's an Australian patent. And what that was all about in terms of getting it early was just what I mentioned there. You know, it's it's, it's almost like telling yourself and, and making sure that what you're doing is innovative or innovative enough here. So, so we accelerated the outcome of the Aussie patent just to see what that outcome would be. And unfortunately, it was positive. So yeah, there's a 20-year patent there. And unbelievably, I literally just got the certificate for the US patent about 30 minutes ago. Oh, wow. Um, that came through at half past nine. So I, I knew it was it was looking really positive, but that, that's a stamp on, on our US patent now as well. So just, uh, just the European countries to go. We've mentioned a bit about fishing and the inspiration for it and what it can do there. You're also, further than that, collecting environmental data as well as footage. Tell me about the inspiration to do so and the potential of this. So this, this is where I potentially get a bit dreamy, but this means something to me. When I speak about like the ocean, I guess, being, you know, being part of me or, or having a real tie to it, I start to think about like what maybe I can give back or what I can do to help the, the situation with the ocean environment and, and fish stocks and, and all that good thing. So I go back to the point I made about I believe that people will put cameras onto one of their fishing lines. I think recreational anglers will do that going forward. And I think they'll do that globally. And if that happens, then effectively that gives you like an insight to what is happening out there. And there's a, you know, a real issue with the recreational anglers globally actually communicating data to the people that need to know that data. I mean, even here in Australia, you see the recreational angling community butt heads all the time with the governing bodies about the state of fish stocks and fishing bans that are, that are put on them. It's snapper down in, in South Australia. It's Spanish macro right now up in North Queensland, where there's a proposal to actually stop that fishery. And it's all because there's a total misalignment between the recreational angler community and those governing bodies. And that misalignment is because there's no data or, or the data is poor. So I feel that really the recreational angler community should be part of that decision-making. And you can only do that with robust data. So I feel it should come from them. And I think this camera is a vehicle for that data transition. Some people will have issues with that proposal. Some anglers will have issues with that proposal. But I think there's a greater good here. And I think that people should be more responsible and see the bigger picture. And if that's possible, then we all benefit because by understanding our waters, that can get you so much more you know, specific in the species you're targeting. You can understand them better. We can ensure that there's a sustainability lens on our local fisheries going forward. And I think everybody benefits from that approach. You mentioned identifying species and, and the last time we spoke, you mentioned that you were in discussions with Griffith University experts who developed AI techniques for identifying 
fish and understanding their numbers. Uh, has this gone any further? And what can you say about your experience seeking help from a university? I should maybe make it clear as well that when the camera is used, you know, it's, it's obviously capturing that footage of the fish. It's also capturing the date and the time. And because of the GPS unit inside of it, you know, because we've got that coordinates, you can, you've got all this like peripheral data that you can also give the angler, like the wind speed, like the water temperature, etc. But the one like non-consistent in that data set, if you like, is the fish species, i.e. it would just be down to the angler's interpretation. So, you know, we've, we've reached out to uh, Griffith University who have got a relatively mature AI model for fish ID. And that, you know, what we're proposing is quite exciting to them and what they've got is quite exciting to us where it's absolutely possible to use artificial intelligence to identify fish species. This initiative, you know, there's many pockets of intelligence around the world having a go at this, but it's all isolated, of course, because an AI model needs images to continue to learn. And of course, the farther that geographic expanse goes, the more species change. And so these initiatives, if you like, tend to like be more localized. But with these cameras, we feel that we can get a much broader spectrum of fish species coming into a model to really help it, I guess, self-populate, self-learn. And so, yeah, that's been the, the affiliation with, with Griffiths up till now. There's nothing concrete there yet, but it's certainly something that we aspire to. And, and we would need that if we are going to deliver this huge dream that I just discussed about really developing data sets that are expansive and are, are of high value. Tell us about your supply chain, please, and finding suppliers for such a niche thing and in such a small community as the electronics community in Australia. Are you using a contract manufacturer here? And tell me about some of the other ingredients to assembling one of your, your little machines. So, I mean, I'll even start at the design as well, because there's a lesson learned there. Because we've got, you know, industrial design and electronics and software, you know, it's, that's like the, the kind of triangle of skill sets we've needed to develop this. We've ended up going to a design house that's got all of that in-house, and that's an absolute recommendation I would give to anybody else, because if you've got three independent businesses trying to look at those three areas, the, those interfaces are extremely, extremely hard to, to manage. So that's the first thing, but then that's also led on to using the manufacturer that the design house recommends to us. So that's what, what's happened there. And they've really taken care of that supply chain. So we're working with a manufacturer that's headquartered in, in South Australia. that has got all that supply chain, I guess, structure set up, which, you know, it's just something we've got to rely on to, to actually try to put that together ourselves without having any influence particularly with the whole supply chain issue globally right now, would be almost impossible. It's a sourced manufacturer that is capable and is uh, taking care of that for us. And would you like to give a shout out to, to those parties or would you perhaps like to leave them nameless? Yeah, no, that's, that's no problem because it's it's open knowledge anyway. Um, the, the design house that has really delivered this for us is called Ingenuity Design, headquartered in Sydney but with a satellite office here in Brisbane and other places around about Australia and the States as well. So those guys have been have been instrumental in, and have owned it. They've really owned the design of it. So we hats off to them. And then it's Entech Electronics based down in, in South Australia. It's you know done all our prototypes for us to date. And you know their capability is is right up there in terms of electronic manufacturing in Australia, almost country leading I would say. 
but they've also got a sister company in Asia as well. So, you know, we're not tied into where we're going to produce this yet. But like I was mentioned, maybe before we, we even started recording the, the podcast, Brent, it's extremely hard economically to not do this in, in Asia. So the whole thing is, you know, the IP, the, the design, the prototyping is all, it's all here in Australia, but the actual mass manufacturing, it's a difficult one economically to not look at Asia to do that. There are just, you know, so many ecosystem issues with a supplier and a supplier supplier and a supplier 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 and those just become more and more complex the further you get from where the production goes on yeah uh, absolutely so that's something that we would have you know, it's, it's a big it's a big topic within the business as to where we're going to do this from but you're right we just don't seem to be set up in a way that is able to to compete yet i'd like to think that can get better going forward but even geographically as well that's making it's one thing but then actually distributing it's another thing particularly if you're going to take a b2c approach yep. like like we are initially and sending things from australia to all corners of the world becomes a challenge as well sure well like everyone else you'll produce where it makes sense You've mentioned some of the complications of being a first-time manufacturer, and there are many. I was wondering if there's a standout lesson among them that you've learned that you wish you knew at the beginning that would have saved you a lot of time and frustration. Um, so a, a couple of things, and maybe I've touched on one already, but or maybe I've touched on both of them, actually. Therefore, the long run, I, I was totally naive. To, to start off with thinking we could turn this around relatively quickly. That's not the case. This, this journey is long. That's a definite lesson learned there. And then a risk of repeating myself as well. Anything that's complex or requires advanced manufacturing, then I think that the more that you can reduce interfaces with organizations that are supporting you, then the better. I think the more interfaces you've got there in terms of the design and bringing this to market, those are always loaded with potential. If things start to go wrong, then the obvious thing and the, the human nature of people mean that you start pointing at each other, right? So really limiting that interfaces that are involved with your project is massive. And if you can get a company or you can do it yourself in-house where you've got all the skill sets, then that's that's clearly a more streamlined approach and, and it de-risks it somewhat. It's a stock question for this series and I'd really like to get your take based on everything you've seen and everything we've mentioned above. Why is it important that Australia have a strong manufacturing ecosystem? I've benefited tremendously from the whole natural resources thing, and that's from Scotland and across Europe and, and here in Australia. That's been my staple throughout my career, and I'm extremely like, appreciative for it as well. But you look at us here in Australia, and you know, we're called the lucky country, and I guess a lot of that comes from the abundance of, of natural resources that we've got here, as well as the weather and beautiful climate and, and all that good things. But I think we just got to make sure that we're not too naive about that and are too reliant on that, which seems like it's the way we're going. By no means any expert on, on this, but the more we, I guess, hedge our bets on that commodity, the more we're at risk of being caught out if that commodity, if the value of it drops for whatever reason. For a country so, I guess, prosperous, if you like, and abundant with ideas and people that are creative and want to get out there it just feels to me like we're, we're kind of missing a trick here and we're not giving ourselves a safety net of things that we can fall back on like complex or advanced manufacturing i would have dearly loved to probably even commercialize this product here in australia only to begin with 
and use Australia as almost like a, a test bed, if you like, for market potential of it. But it, it's almost impossible, like, or it's very, very hard to do that and to keep all of this within the country and then have it as almost like a you know a product that we're shipping abroad. It just hasn't stacked up. So when you look at the potential we've got, you know, with, with available funding, with creative minds, with, with a, a freedom and, and capability for people to take their ideas and actually make something from it, it feels like we're missing a piece of the jigsaw by not investing in increasing our manufacturing capability here. We'd like to know while you're on the line if you have anything to plug, and I'm sure you do. Yeah, man, no, I definitely do, and it's so timely to get the chance to talk to you because we, you know, like I mentioned, are, are close, we're ready to, to commercialise this, but we need to raise the funds in order to do that. When I say that, I mean actually put together the, the production line and so we've been preparing over the last few months for our Kickstarter campaign that, in other words, is a platform that allows us to pre-sell the product to, you know, to customers. So that's all set up and we are going to launch on Wednesday. That's Wednesday, the, the 31st of August at 7 p.m. in Brisbane time. That'll take in, that'll make it the 31st of August across the globe effectively. So yeah, that's that's the the plug, Brent. I'm I'm looking for for assistance and support to raise the capital to actually eventually cross this commercialization valley of death, if it, <laughs> we like to call it. It's the final step. But yeah, I am absolutely you know reaching out for help to to do that, and and the way to do that is to actually you know pre buy one of of these cameras. I think we're on to something here. I think the the patents prove that. I think the market interest proves that, and I'd like to do that on behalf of Australia. I think we've got a a market-leading product that Australia could be proud of and to make a real difference over the long term with the data aspect as well. Fantastic. Well, listeners, be sure to head over to the Kickstarter page of Siren Cameras and throw your support behind them. Phil West, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure having you on AU Manufacturing Conversations. Brent, I massively appreciate um, the call. So thanks very much. And if anybody needs any assistance or i can i can lend an ear to anyone on this this subject then you know i'm i'm always open for that that conversation fantastic well thanks again phil thanks brent